Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Medical Matters Podcast. My name is Sunil. And I'm Kendall. And we are two medical students interested in learning about all kinds of topics in healthcare while bringing experts to share their knowledge and their stories. Uh, we're very excited to be back for our second season. Uh, this is our second episode of the second season, and to continue bringing experts on um, to uh, talk about their experiences and uh, talk about their you know, diverse uh, backgrounds as well. So speaking of expert guests, today we have the pleasure of having Lindsay Knox with us. Lindsay is the Vice President of Government Affairs and Advocacy at the law firm here in town, McDonald Carano. And as a lobbyist, Lindsay advocates on behalf of her clients and closely monitors, drafts, testifies, and reviews legislation. Lindsay works closely with elected government officials to bring to attention important concerns in our state of Nevada, including many healthcare-related topics. For example, earlier this year, Lindsay was vital in garnering support and attention of Assembly Bill 274, which supported insurance coverage of fertility preservation procedures for cancer patients and others undergoing medically necessary treatment involving potential iatrogenic infertility. Her advocacy for her clients mirrors the advocacy physicians strive to have for their patients, and today we'll, learn, we'll get to learn more about the advocacy side of healthcare. Thanks for joining us today, Lindsay, and welcome. Thank you for having me. Very happy to be here. We're very happy to have you. Um, so I just want to kind of start from uh, the big picture of things uh, and ask, like, what do you, like, how do you feel the passage of a bill looks like? How does it go from, uh, say, someone's desk, uh, from a concerned individual who, who wants to see change in the world, uh, to landing on Governor Sisolak's de- uh, desk? Yeah. So I think every piece of legislation has their own uh, path. Um, sometimes it is one constituent um, that has an issue um, that they bring to a legislator, their legislator normally, um, and that bill gets introduced if that legislator has an interest. Um, others, they fix, they need fixes from prior sessions. Um, we do a lot of coalition building um, as lobbyists and legislators and different associations uh, to see what changes need to be made. So I think every piece of legislation has its own story um, on how it gets to his desk. It's the middle that gets really complicated because it's not Schoolhouse Rock. Um, (laughs) Everybody likes to think of that song. I'm just a bill. (laughs) I'm just a bill. Um, I was going through the airport the other day and I saw a guy with that shirt on and I laughed. Um, (laughs) But it's not that simple Um, because the support that you need to garner for your bill especially if it's a controversial one, or if it needs funding, um, it it takes relationships. That is key in our business. You have to have strong relationships, not only with legislators, but fellow lobbyists, advocates. All those people are a piece of the puzzle in getting a bill passed. Um, And in a bill like AB 274, there's a fiscal note to that. So you have to find money to fund that. And in a state like Nevada, when you are dealing with a biannual budget, it gets tricky, especially in a pandemic, to find necessary dollars. Um, So not only have to get the policy passed, you also have to get the budget piece passed. Um, So again, every bill has its own unique way of getting through the process. Yeah, it sounds very idiosyncratic, very unique, like you mentioned. Can you speak to who can introduce a bill and how it even, how the idea comes to fruition and and who can even come up with ideas? So there is a list um, on the legislative website of actually everybody that is allowed to introduce bills. 
So you have obviously your assembly members, your Senate members. Now departments within the state also have bills that get introduced, local governments, school districts. Um, I'm missing some. Governor's office. So all state, local, Supreme Court, so the judicial branch, they can all have bills introduced. Uh, now for AB 274, we brought that concept to an assemblywoman um, who ended up losing, but gave it to somebody else. Uh, and then that was introduced on behalf of her. So as an individual person, you must find a legislator to do, introduce the bill for you. But again, state agencies, local municipalities have the authority under the law to introduce legislation. Got it. So would having the quote-unquote championship from, say, an elected official, would that carry more weight than these other municipalities that you mentioned? You know, it, it really depends because those bills, so a municipality bill, what normally will happen is they get referred to a committee, so it's kind of the committee's bill. Uh, but it just depends. It depends on the concept. You know, the city of Reno, their bills got destroyed this year. Now, there's other municipalities that were very successful. Um, so I think, again, it, it depends on what the intention is, what the impact to community is. But the other piece is, is when it comes to local government bills, what is good for Reno and what is good for Las Vegas are polar opposites. And so it's making sure, or the rural communities, especially the rural communities. So it's making sure that legislation um, either works together for the benefit of all communities, or it specifies who it is to impact and only impact. Um, that makes a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a really interesting um, idea. Uh, you know, to like what you're saying about the dynamic between Reno and Las Vegas. Uh, you know, these are these are two um, demographic you know, groups who make up basically all of Nevada, right? So they, they kind of make up all the say in, in what gets passed and what doesn't get passed. Um, and, you know, I guess there's there's sort of this conception, maybe misconception, um, that a lot of a lot of politics it can be this zero-sum game, right? Where one, one group's power is uh, necessarily kind of taking away or detracting from the interests of another group. Uh, whether they're uh, whether they're smaller or less uh, impactful in, in some capacity. Um, so I guess you know to maybe dispel that notion or maybe just to reinforce it. Like, do you, do you feel that that zero sum game uh, notion is uh, necessarily how it plays out, or is the coalition building um, can that have a much uh, bigger influence and more um, impactful influence on 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 supporting the the needs of as many people as possible? Coalition building, I think, is is truly key. Um, what I will say when it comes to having one party run everything is it does make things more difficult uh, because there's a lack of balance. But what you'll see in politics right now is there's two sides that are truly polarizing to the middle. Um, and the middle is the majority. And that is, that is who's impacted right now, um, at least what I see. Um, so you have these very, very different ideas getting pushed into the parties and it makes that coalition building even more important so i will use bill that we worked on two sessions ago it was dealing with balanced billing 
and massive issue between the physicians, hospitals, and the insurance companies. But then you have to bring in the other plans, which is the ERISA plans, which are federally ran, but they affect a large portion of Nevadans because they're all union. So we sat at a table for 18 months working on this bill. Guess what? At the end of the day, everybody hated it. But with that came something that everybody could at the end agree to. And that's what good policy is. So it just shows that, I mean, the insurance companies wanted something completely different than physicians and hospitals. But it shows that coalition building does work. There are ideas that were passed this last this last legislative session, such as the public option, that that was passed with insurance, hospitals, physicians, the business community, self-insurers, so workers' comp, everyone opposed to it. But that far left, which is now your guys' right as you look at me, that far <laughs> left had that political grab to get it done. So regardless of the negative impact this could have on our state, it was passed. And now, after it's passed, we get to do an actuarial study to see the impact. Wow, that's really interesting. Um, speaking of the, sounds like the opposition, the juxtaposition that you mentioned, especially between Reno, Las Vegas, and rural communities, I'm really curious, what are some of those hot topics that are very dichotomous in, in viewpoints between those three different groups? You know, the rural communities, um, I come from a rural community, so I have a, a different uh, perspective on them is they don't have a voice anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first started in this uh, back in 2008, they did have a voice. Um, and it was a very strong voice. And since the power has really shifted to Southern Nevada, you have seen that voice go away more and more. Um and the same is kind of shifting for Washoe. We used to be the powerhouse. We, regardless of population, we were the powerhouse in, in state. Um, and we got things that we wanted. Um, and Vegas didn't. So again, now that we see that shift, we're kind of up here in the north. We're kind of going, this is, this is unique. This is a different issue for us. So dollars, more dollars are going being sent down to Southern Nevada. We're not getting as many out into the rural communities. We're not getting as many as Washoe. Now, mind you, Washoe is great because we're diversifying our economy, but there's still a problem um, for what we're used to. Um, but I would say the hot topic issues that you are looking at that are very community-based, um, housing. Mm-hmm. Housing is key. Um, and, and housing doesn't just impact, you know, houses. It impacts our health because we need physicians. We need nurses. We need staff to run our, our facilities. And there is such a shortage right now, especially in our rural communities, that we had Sislak in yesterday, and he's saying we are having to transport people from our rural communities to Vegas, Washoe, and into California because our, our hospitals in those communities cannot sustain. So housing is a huge, huge issue. Um, Homelessness, another huge issue. These are all things that you can't put in a box. Every community has to do it differently. Um, Healthcare is different. 
Um, you think of a, you know, Humboldt County. Well, they have this big of a hospital, and they have one. And do they have orthopedic surgeons? They have a couple. Do they have people from up here going there to help? Yes. Um, but so what Vegas deals with in Washoe to the rules, very, very different. Uh, I would say those are always the top three issues that we have right now. Um, and education, always education. Uh, that is another, again, every community is different in how they handle it. Every community is lacking teachers and support staff. So I, I would say those are probably the four big issues that are very broad, um, but have different impacts in each community. Absolutely. It's, yeah, I mean, we like said very, uh, it's fascinating to me because, you know, the way that the, the way that the country in general is, is set up is uh, sort of like a federalized society where, you know, states... Um, uh, essentially get the powers that the federal government isn't enumerated to get. Um, but even within states, it's, it's interesting to, to, to see how uh, there can be so many you know different interests within one state, like within Iowa, within Nevada, a state that doesn't seem particularly large, um, but just has, you know, so many different voices that have so many different interests. Um, something I find, yeah, like just hugely fascinating. Um, I, I wanted to switch gears a little bit um, and talk about more specifically uh, the impact of healthcare and, and, and what you do. Um, so, you know, as, as a lobbyist, you probably talk to plenty of uh, different people, different groups who uh, either support your ideas, oppose your ideas. How much of an impact would you say that healthcare providers themselves um, have in terms of the legislative process? Um, I think it is, it's work in progress. Um, I, you know, I, I represent Nevada Orthopedic Society. Um, REMSA, which is our EMS up here in the north. Um, I represent a skilled nursing facility. We also have anesthesiologists, board of medical, uh, sorry, uh, board of osteopathic medicine. Uh, so we have a wide variety of healthcare clients. Um, obviously, all align. We don't do conflicts in my office, so they all they all get along. Um, but I think physicians they need a better voice. And I know that the executive director of the medical association is a dear friend of mine, um, works very diligently to do that. Um, I think we saw during this last session how truly important the individual voices are. They know us. They know lobbyists. But it is the voices of the people that deal with it in and out every day that they need to hear. Um, one of the things I was just back in DC um, with my orthopedic surgeons, and I said, "Where's our residents this year? Why didn't we? we did, why didn't we bring residents?" Mm -hmm. Great question. Why didn't we? This has been a discussion that we've been having for five years to bring our residents with us to DC to get them involved in the advocacy because by learning this process now and having a voice now and building those relationships early, early, in your educational years, into your residency, and all of those things is so important because you've gone through the entire spectrum. So when y'all are finally done and you are practicing and doing all of the things that you need to do, your voice carries so much weight. The other really important thing is, and I have seen this, um, is it, physicians have to remember that legislators are actual people. They don't speak your language. 
<laughs> These are common people. This is a this this is this is not a California. This is this is Nevada. And they don't need to be talked down to. They need to be talked to like people. Don't wear white coats. Just be people. Be passionate. And and Kendall, you know that during like our testimony on two seventy four uh, the position that we had, he was phenomenal. He spoke so eloquently and he didn't talk down to anybody. He talked to them as people. And that is key. So engaging early and treating the people you are speaking to as if they have you know, a brain is very, very important. Very blunt. I'm sorry, but that is very much who I am. And what I have seen over the years. It has gotten better. Yeah, I think it's really important that you mentioned how important it is for us to use our voice too as as future healthcare providers. That's actually what drew Sunil and I initially to the position that we have with this podcast and um, advocating for our patients and then learning about these topics that could affect them one day. And in working with your patients on advocacy. Um, that they're just as important, if not more important, for their voices to be heard. And there's patient groups out there. Um, but when you as physicians can bring your patients to advocate together, that is, that's an even stronger voice. And it's getting involved in your associations, medical associations, you know, your specialty, um, if you're working, you know, at Renown or one of the hospitals, being a part of the hospital association, those groups are so important and carry so much weight um, that being engaged in those is extremely valuable. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, the, the the engagement of physicians, I think, you know, sometimes can, can be can be very lacking. Uh, we're very poor advocates. For actually, I, I don't know why I'm saying R. I'm not a physician yet, <laughs> but one day, one day, <laughs> physicians in general, you know, pretty poor advocates for themselves. Uh, you know, whether whether it's because they're busy or burnt out or whatever the reason might be, um, but it is it is important uh, for for sure. Um, so, you know, I want I wanted to ask, uh, you know, if if healthcare if physicians aren't necessarily being the best representatives of themselves within the healthcare dynamic, like say you guys. Uh, for example, that, that public option bill that got passed recently. Um, what group do you feel like has, or groups have the most undue influence on the process? Like, would you say maybe like the drug companies, insurance companies, or is it like some totally different group that I'm not even thinking of right now? You're not thinking of them. Oh, okay. It's unions. Oh, okay. Unions run the state. They are a very, very big, big, powerful group. Um, and again, when you are controlled in a democratic in democratic party, that that is who who runs this state. Um, do insurance companies have a lot of pull? Yes, and it, it's so interesting because most states insurance companies and Republicans side together, and then physicians kind of fall in the middle. But in this state, it's actually kind of the opposite. Is insurance companies actually do really well? With Democrats, hmm. I don't understand that. I, I never have. Um, and then the physicians do really well with the Republicans. Hmm. Um, but yes, they have an enormous amount of power. They have very powerful lobbyists. The insurance companies do, um, but the physicians do too, and so do the hospitals. 
Um, and, and the way that it works is that, you know, we have our physician subgroups, but we have the medical association. We all have different lobbyists. They're all different lobbyists. And then you have the hospital association. And then individual hospitals will have their own lobbyists. And so you have this coalition, again, that I meet with regularly. And you're looking at probably 10 to 12 different lobbyists just within the physician hospital group. And then the insurance companies, the same kind of thing. Um, so it's a ma there's masses of us behind closed doors who represent all the different groups. But unions run this run a lot of the legislature. The progressive groups have also gotten pretty powerful um, because you have this more progressive mindset coming into the legislature. Um, so they do, these little advocacy groups do have a lot more um, pull than uh, they used to. Interesting. Drug companies are due to, but. <laughs> <laughs> now, I did want to go back to the idea of statewide healthcare legislature versus federal. And for our listeners, a little background on AB 274, which is a bill that Lindsay and I worked with this past legislative session. We were advocating for the support of insurance coverage for fertility preservation procedures for cancer patients and other patients going through treatment that might render them infertile. And here in Nevada, that isn't covered, but whereas in some other states, such as New York, um, a couple other in the East Coast, this type of coverage is insured for, for these types of patients. And I wanted to ask if you could speak to the pros and cons of having statewide legislature. So, for example, the agenda for healthcare in Alaska is probably a lot different than what it is, say, in Indiana. But at the same time, why is it that a cancer patient, say, in either of the states, why can't they get fertility preservation coverage or something that, that isn't so fundamentally different in either state? Well, I think it, it, it's, it's looking at your population. So if you look at Nevada, we have a very high Medicaid rate here. Mm -hmm. So when you put, when you ask insurance companies to cover more, they look at their entire base. And where do costs normally fall? They fall onto the private insurance side. So they fall onto me to pay for, for you guys to pay for. Um, and so when you look at even, even a cent or two cents, um, the state has to look at that. So they have to look at that from a Medicaid coverage level. Well, earlier in 2020, when we had our special sessions, well, what did they do? They, they cut Medicaid costs. They, they, were, they were taking things away to cover. And so when you come in, you're like, now I want this. The state's like, ooh, that's fiscal note. Well, fiscal notes automatically bring a red flag. Because it's unfunded. So now you have to find the funding. But then the insurance com com companies came to me and they're like, don't do this. Like, this is going to increase costs. Regardless if it's one to two cents, I have another six bills over here that are 10 to 15 cents. So this is how much you're going to increase our premiums. Then not only are you doing that, now we have to go through all of our internal records. We have to do all of these internal things that cost us money to change for one state. So when you have, again, that big Medicaid piece is a huge deterrent from being able to get things done. Even though we tried, 
to remove Medicaid. At the end of the day, they're just like, if we're not going to do it for one, we're not going to do it for the other. And that's really how we do a lot of things. It's not going to happen here. Sorry, we're not going to do it here. Um, and then the unions play in also another big role, role in that because ERISA plans don't cover that. So then you have to elect for the insurance companies to be nice and put that in their plans as well, which then increases the cost for the ERISA plans. So it's a, it's a very multi-layered issue when it comes to costs. Yeah, it really goes to show how integrated insurance and, and all these fiscal concerns are with, with health care and how intertwined they are here in, in our country. It is. And I think, again, if you had it done at the federal level, that's one thing. Um, but when you go start trying to piece things off in other states, mm-hmm. you know, Nevada is a tougher state to get those types of things done in. Yeah, no, definitely. Because, uh, I mean, just like, uh, uh, you know, as, as you guys were mentioning, like, you know, individual states, they, they have different uh, different interests, different legislative processes, and um, I, I guess just a different way of, of, of doing things. Um, and, you know, it gets me to wondering, the idea of of health reform, um, whether whether it's like, you know, a single-payer healthcare system, whether it's uh, completely deregulating the healthcare system, like whatever, whatever view of reform uh, a person might have. Um, where do you feel like the most impactful uh, way to make the changes? Is it necessarily going to be on the state level uh, where, you know, the legislator is more responsive to citizens, individual um, groups can have a greater, greater say and greater influence on uh, what the state passes uh, or potentially on the federal level instead, where you can make a sweeping change that kind of takes advantage of the whole economies of scale argument where you use like a really, like, like you were saying with the, with the base, if you have like an extremely large base of something, um, then any financial impact of a policy change is, is minimized as opposed to working with a small base. Um, so I guess like, do, do you have any, do you have any thoughts on, on like what's, like what locale would be more, um, uh, feasible way to pass health reform? State versus federal. Again, I, when you when you look at sweeping reforms, you have to remember how different every place is. Of course, rural Nevada is different than rural New York. Totally, Las Vegas is different than Miami. Oh, yeah. And so, when you look at these populations, you really have to think about: it, does sweeping reform take care of the majority? But who does it hurt? It hurts rural communities. It hurts minority communities. So you really have to be very cautious in the way that you do those types of things. Is there a simple answer? No, there isn't. Because universal health care, I have plenty of friends in Canada that hold private insurance. Almost every one of my friends does. Same in South Africa, same in Europe. So does it necessarily work? For some people, yeah. I saw a mom years ago. A neighbor had breast cancer, was, lived in Canada. They came down to Reno, of all places, for treatment. <laughs> and because she couldn't get treatment in Canada, because the line was too long. And she ended up passing away here. And so you hear stories like that. You hear stories of people having private insurance in these you know, universal health care systems. And you're like, does it really work? So this is kind of interesting. This kind of is... is not what we've always been told or what people tell us. 
But I think what creates good policy is a good workforce. If you do not have a workforce, any policy you make is going to become a burden on the workforce that exists. So that becomes a burden on the two of you. Yeah. So if we invest in our residencies, we invest in our medical schools, we invest in nurses, and all of the pieces from top down who provide care to people, there's going to be a change. Because then you're looking at quality of care. And then you are also looking at the ability to get health care. Right now, that it, it's slim pickings right now for people. Access to care is not good, but access to quality care is even worse. And so if you have a strong workforce, then you have a strong quality of access to care. And then once you build that, then you look at the policies that are broken. Is it insurance? Is it the physician side? Is it the hospital side? How do we mend them together? Will they ever get along? No, they won't. Will their lobbyists always fight each other? Yes, they will. Will one always win over the other? Yes. But if you can hate it on both sides, it normally means you have decent policy. <laughs> but I do wholeheartedly believe that if you want something to change, you have to look at our workforce. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a it's a thought that, that needs to be brought up more because yeah, you're totally right. If if we expand coverage out to every single person, and you know they were to um, go visit the primary care doctor uh, for you know all sorts of backlogged uh, checkups and backlogged conditions that the person might have, then you know where are the primary care physicians? <laughs> like, how are they going to get treated? Most of them aren't accepting new patients, um, especially Nevada. So yeah, I mean, there, there's got to be something's got to give. Um, I think, yeah, the training is a huge component. Um, I don't have all the answers. I mean, I'm just, I'm not even a doctor yet. So <laughs> Nobody has all the answers. Nobody has a switch to flip on this. Um, but you also have to look at the difference in payments. Physicians don't want to take Medicaid because they don't get paid properly for it. And so, same with public option. Nobody wants it because you're setting the ceiling or the or the floor at a Medicare rate. Like, I'm sorry, like that doesn't cover the cost to care for people. So if we want to make change, we have to cover the care for people. But that comes from, again, hospitals, insurance, and reimbursement. It can't just be one. It has to be everybody together making that decision and coming up with something that works. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that you mentioned that the reform that we seek isn't necessarily within the people wearing the big suits up on Capitol Hill. It can also be within you know, us, the future providers, too. And it's a lot more of um, it can be a lot more of an individual level, I think, too, which I wasn't really cognizant of. But on that note, as Sunil and I are entering the workforce in a couple years and also to our future healthcare providers who may be listening, what is the best way for us to be advocates for our patients and for our community? Understand the issues. Understand the issues of your community. Understand the issues of your state. Know your legislators. Engage in your associations. Be on the Government Affairs Committee. Work with your national groups. 
go to DC, meet with your delegation. It, it, it's a second, it's a second job, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why you don't see a lot of physicians do it because y'all will work so many hours anyways. That you add this, it, it is, it's another job, but it is vital for the success of physicians and patients and hospitals in order to maintain healthy populations. It, it takes everyone to be involved. Again, I was just in D.C. We met with our entire delegation. And we worked on three pieces of legislation. Here's what we need from you. And here's why. Almost our entire delegation signed on to those bills. So it's having those relationships, relationships, relationships. There is nothing more important in your career than relationships, whether it's with your patients, whether it's with their families, whether it's with your legislators, your associations, your whatever side of government, federal to your school boards. Relationships are key in every aspect of changing policies. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, just getting us out there to, to engage, yeah, to really, to, yeah, to make those connections with, with you know, whoever it is, Capitol Hill, the Nevada State Legislator, or even just our local county officials. Um, yeah, having having a conversation, I think, yeah, you're totally right, it's just super important. Um, and, you know, smallest changes can make the biggest impact, uh, something that I always say. Um, and I just want to say, you know, I, I don't want to uh, detract from, like, your time and all the, all the busy, uh, all the meaningful work that you do um so i just want to say it's been a pleasure chatting with you i think we learned a ton about advocacy and about the issues uh, from you um kendall and i you know i'm sure that um we we gained a ton from this and our listeners uh did as well um or will uh and as as other as, as future healthcare providers um you know, I think it's just really important for us to, to hear and to, to know about what it means to be a good advocate and like how we can use our, our platforms uh, to speak out for those who don't have as significant or as large of a voice. Um, so I want to thank you uh, for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And, you know, I truly believe in advocacy in, in, in healthcare and being your own voice, um, but not getting too out in front of your skis because then you get us in trouble. Um, but using your voice through your associations and being engaged is, is key. It is key in the success of, of your guys' future, honestly. Well, thank you, Lindsay, for joining us today and for sharing your insight. And to our listeners, tune in for our next episode next month. And this has been Medical Matters.